All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in um, 1 Corinthians 14 for the majority of this message. And we're going to be skipping around that chapter a lot. So just keep that open. If you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Corinthians 14. You can put a finger there because we're also going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you're just joining us today, we've been in a series uh, called Holy Ghost. We've been talking about the the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Is my microphone having issues again? Goodness, I just switched microphones too. All right, we're going to deal with it. And now we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we've talked about six gifts in particular, some serving gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans chapter uh, 12, I believe. And today we are going to be looking at what the Bible says about the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, I've been looking forward to teaching this message. And if you are not from a charismatic or Pentecostal background, brace yourself. This is going to be a real interesting message for you. But I'm glad that you're here because we uh, are going to look at the Bible. And we're not going to look at... Um, we're not going to talk about this from an experiential standpoint. We're going to talk about this from a biblical standpoint. Yes, I'm going to share a little bit about my story when it comes to the gift of tongues. One thing I want you to keep in mind that we've been talking about through this series is, um, and the last time I mentioned this, I'm going to mention it again, uh, and write this down. But the, the, when, when talking about spiritual gifts, we talked about how every believer is called to show mercy. Every believer is showed to, to have faith, to, to listen to the voice of God, to know the difference between right and wrong, have discernment, to pray for people uh, who need healing, to be encouraging to others. These are all gifts of the Whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes for you a spiritual discipline. Whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes a spiritual discipline. So we are all called to step into these gifts at some point in our life. But some of us have grace for these gifts and they come naturally, they come easy to us because God has distributed it to you. So whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes a spiritual discipline. I want to start with my story uh, regarding this gift. When I was 13 or 14 years old, I attended a meeting at my church in Squim here in Washington. Does anybody know where Squim is? Yes, the sunny, sunny squim, only 14 inches of rain. It's in the Olympic, Olympic Peninsula with the beach there. It's a beautiful place to grow up. And, uh, there was a speaker that was supposed to be sharing at our church and I didn't want to go that day because I'd been arguing with my dad. My dad and I had this fight and I was mad at my dad, but he wanted to go and dad said, get in the car. We're going to church. There's a special speaker coming. I want you to be there, son. And I said, no, I'm not going. And I crossed my arms. I'm not coming to church, Dad. I'm not coming to church. Well, he, I ended up getting in the car and going to church. <laughs> and I get to church, and I said, well, I'm not sitting with you, though. And I go to the back of the room, and I sit in the back of the church, and I'm just pouting. And my dad's in the front row. My family always sat in the first two rows for some reason. And, and I'm sitting in the back of the church pouting, and I'm listening, though, as the speaker is talking. And towards the end of his message, he gave an invitation for those who wanted to receive the gift of tongues. And so as a kid, you know, I don't know what tongues is, but I want it. If it's a gift of the spirit, it sounds good to me. And so I, I stood up in the back of the room and he encouraged anyone who desired this gift to lift their arms to heaven, to look up and open up their mouths and to begin just speaking, just begin speaking utterances that the Holy Spirit brings to you. 
And so I'm 13 or 14 years old. I'm in the back, and I lift up, and I just start kind of doing what I saw my mom doing. You know, bought a Honda, should have bought a Mazda. <laughs> Untie my bow tie, he stole my Honda. You know, and, and I'm kind of just making utterances, but suddenly, <laughs> I know, suddenly it felt like uh, my words were being empowered by by the Spirit. And I began just speaking, and it was quiet at first, and I was a little embarrassed and worried about what people are thinking. But as I continued, I became more confident, and I began enunciating the words, and I, I could feel the Holy Spirit's power behind what I was doing. And I was given my spiritual language that day. And I couldn't necessarily put words to the experience, except I know that on that day, my spirit was communicating to God in a way that it hadn't before. And so uh, it's taken me years to figure out what happened on that day because the Spirit did something in my heart and did something, gave me a gift that I didn't quite understand. And so maybe some of you here have already received the gift of tongues. And for those of you who are, who are here and maybe you're skeptical about it, um, let's look at what Scripture says about it. What does Paul say about the gift of tongues. We see the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, starting at verse 7 and then verses 10 and 11. It says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one in same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. See, the Greek word for tongue uh, is used not only to mean the physical tongue in a person's mouth, but it's also used for the word language. It means language. And as Paul writes about this gift in Corinthians, we can be certain that he's referring to the meaning of language, the gift of languages. And it's unfortunate that tongues is used because speaking in languages seems less odd and more accurate. Than saying speaking in tongues. But for the sake of, I'm going to probably use these terms interchangeably because the gift of tongues, that, that, that verbiage is so, uh, so common today that, um, are you looking for a new mic for me? You can just grab the, the Vox 3 mic in, in the box. Do I need it? Do I need a new microphone? No. Okay. I'm good. So we're going to, we're tongues, the gift of languages. Goodness. Yeah, bring it, bring, give me, give me that one, the gray one. All right, how's that? All right, so let's talk for a minute about the significance of language. So before sin entered the world in Genesis 3, get this, there was no need for other languages because Adam and Eve spoke the same language as God and were united in service to God. And after the fall, people on earth still spoke the same language, but they became united in opposition to God. And this unified language used in rebellion against God culminated in building the Tower of Babel at the time when Genesis 11.1 says that the whole world had one language in a common speech. In order to stop the rebellion against him, Genesis 11.9 says that the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so the Bible makes an obvious correlation between a shared language 
and unifying power. That there is unifying power that comes from a shared language. And God even recognized this. He said these people are, they're united. They're one. They speak the same language. And they're uniting in rebellion against me. So God scattered them over the face of the earth. And he confused the languages of the whole world in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. And so a shared language before sin gave people the power to unite in service to God. But after sin, it gave them the power to unite in rebellion against God. Language is powerful, powerful church. Verbal communication was God's idea because he made our mouths. He made our tongues. And the Bible says that we were made in the image of God. So, so, so the, the reason that we use communication to one another, that, that was God's idea, that we use our tongues. God made our tongues. Language is not merely communication. Words are not merely words. It is with word that God created the universe by uttering the phrase, let there be light. And he began to speak with words into existence the creation of the world, of the universe. It is with word that God spoke to Abraham and made a covenant, covenant with Israel to be their God. It's with language that we command evil spirits to leave. It is with words that we share the saving gospel to other people. We, you, we communicate with words. Jesus himself is described in John chapter 114 as the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Language is not merely communication. It carries life-giving power. And after Babel, God improved the situation a bit when he chose to make Abraham's family a great nation. The nation of Israel had one language that was to be used in service to God. Yet all the other nations of the earth were outside of God's plan of redemption. And it's important to note that they did not share the language that Israel had. It was an improvement because now one language of all the languages was to be used in service to God. Whereas in Genesis 11, no language were you, no languages were used in, to serve God. But it gets even better than this church. It goes even farther. This unifying power was disrupted in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel because sin was out of control. And there was no way to properly use a unified language in service to God like it was used in Genesis 1 and 2. But then, Jesus died and won a victory over sin. And in Acts chapter 2, he sent the Holy Spirit who brought with him a common language. Bringing once again the power to unite people in service to God and speak the language of heaven. Let's read about it in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, verses 1 through 6, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So this was a very significant symbolic action that marked the ending of one age and the inauguration of another. See, in the Old Testament, 
The evangelistic message would have been an invitation for you to leave your nation and join the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and become a Jew. Unfortunately, it included circumcision, probably. And if you want to worship God, you have to become a Jew. You have to be part of our nation because we are God's chosen people. God has chosen us. But here in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of something new. The message is, is about to go into each nation in its own language, inviting people in every place to turn to Christ and be saved. So it's this turning point in the gospel where no longer do people have to come into this one language, but now the Spirit is enabling them to go. The gospel message is about to go into all languages and spread across the earth. So let's answer the question, what is speaking in tongues? We're going to answer a couple questions. What is The first one is, what is speaking in tongues? And we can define this gift as this. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. So let's break down this definition just a little bit. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise to God. That's the first part. This gift is unlike prophecy because prophecy are words from God to people, but tongues are words spoken from our spirits to God. And what kind of words do our spirits speak to God? Well, when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 through 15, we learn from Paul's writing that what we are doing when we speak in tongues is we are uttering prayer and praise. Those two things. We are uttering prayer and praise to God. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I I will also sing with my understanding. And we know that this aligns, this, this idea that tongues is prayer and praise, it aligns with what we see in Acts chapter 2, because uh, as the followers of Jesus were coming out speaking in all different languages, the people passing by said this in Acts 2.11. They said, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were speaking out the works of God. They were praising God, thanking God for the works that he had done, the mighty deeds of the Father. And so that was what was being heard by the people coming by. The second part of that definition, it's prayer or praise to God. It's also not understood by the speaker. Acts chapter 2 is actually the only time in Scripture where we see the gift of tongues manifesting in known languages. And Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 14 that the gift of tongues will not be understood by the speaker. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14 too, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Does this mean that tongues will never be understood in known languages? And we need to remember, church, that the Spirit is God. He can choose to do whatever He wants. We've seen it happen in Scripture before where tongues were uttered in known languages. And so we cannot say that it wouldn't be biblical if the Holy Spirit chooses to do it again. Because He can choose to do it again. In fact, I've heard testimonies. I've heard people supernaturally communicating to others in languages they did not speak. Missionaries who visit uh, tribes in Africa who, who begin uh, speaking out and they understand what they're saying. I've, I've heard stories like this before. 
We all also have to keep in mind that when we speak in tongues, we are not speaking with our mind, with our understanding, but we are communicating with our spirits. For many people, the gift of tongues is not understood by the speaker, and it's because we're praying with our spirits. And remember what verse 14 says. This is for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Paul is saying that when you pray with the gift of tongues, you're communicating to God with your spirit, not your mind. You don't understand what you're saying. So here's a, a, a pretty valid question. Why would God give the church a gift that operates in the unseen and cannot be understood with our minds? It's a strange gift to give the church, isn't it? I think there are three valid reasons why God would do this. And these are three reasons that are given to us by Wayne, scholar and theologian Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology. He mentions these three things. Number one, uh, God probably does this in order to keep us humble, to protect us from intellectual pride. There's something very humbling about the fact that you are stepping out and you are uttering words that you do not understand. It's a very humbling experience. In fact, the first time that it happens to you, you might think, I feel stupid. I look stupid. I sound stupid. And it's a humbling experience. Maybe that is one of the points. It's a humbling experience that protects us from intellectual pride. The second reason is it's to remind us that God is greater than our understanding, that he does, he does things greater than what we can understand. That God is outside of what we can perceive, that we do not fully know the mind of God, and God does things that we cannot understand. The third reason is that much of what God does is accomplished in the unseen. Think about when you got saved, your regeneration, when you gave your heart to the Lord and you got saved, that was something that happened in the unseen. You didn't actually see the new nature being placed inside of you and the old nature dying. You didn't physically see that. It's an unseen experience. Uh, Jesus, when he talks about genuine prayer, he says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Genuine prayer happens in the unseen. Worship, true worship happens in the unseen. The blessings that come from communion. When we take communion together, there's something in the supernatural that happens that is unseen. We don't, we don't see it. We don't know exactly what's going on. But we know that the Lord is doing something when we take communion together because Christ instructed us to remember him in that way and to do this as a family, as an act of obedience. Spiritual warfare happens in the unseen for the most part. Laying up treasures in heaven happens in the unseen. Setting our minds on things above, like Paul talks about, that happens in the unseen. Much of what God does is accomplished in the unseen. Another thing we have to remember about the gift of tongues is that it's not ecstatic speech. Some people have referred to the gift of tongues as ecstatic speech, uh, meaning that um, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you can't control it. It's just, you just go to town. And you can't control when you stop or when you start because I've got the Holy Spirit's power on you. But that is actually not what we see in Scripture. Instead, it is a self-controlled gift. The speaker is not overtaken by the Spirit in such a way where they can't start and stop when they want to. And two examples in Scripture that back this up are, number one, is, is found at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The believers were able to cease speaking in tongues so that Peter could stand up and deliver a message to the crowd. They had control over it. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27 through 28, he gives instructions to the church for how to speak in tongues. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. See, Paul requires people to take turns speaking in tongues, and he limits the number to three, indicating clearly that those who spoke in tongues were aware of what was happening and able to control themselves and wait for their turn. So they have control over the gift. And this emphasizes the Spirit's desire for order and peace within a church gathering and not a crazy display and abuse of the Spirit's power. In fact, the, the reason that uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 were written to the church in Corinthians is because there was an abuse of the gift of tongues. And so Paul is writing to the church in Corinthians to correct the church in abusing this gift because they were speaking in tongues uh, many at one time. And as new believers were entering the church, they were getting weirded out. They were thinking, these guys are crazy. Do you remember what the people said in Acts 2? These people are drunk, right? It looks insane. And Paul's saying, don't do that. When people are coming, when people are interested in learning about the gospel message and they come to your gatherings, don't freak them out. Be cool. Be self-controlled. Have order in the church. And this was Paul's concern for the church of Corinthians. So he gave us one of the best teaching on spiritual gifts that we could have received in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So some of you might be in here and you were raised in a non-Pentecostal or non-charismatic background. And you might have the question, well, what about in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul says that tongues will cease. What is he talking about? Well, people who consider themselves cessationists, they believe that once the New Testament was completed, there was no more need for prophecy and tongues and knowledge because the fullness of God's revelation has been given to us in Scripture. So they believe that once we had the fullness of the Bible, once we had the complete picture of the Bible, the gift of prophecy and tongues and knowledge, we don't have any need for it because God has revealed everything that we need to know in Scripture. And I admire, I admire this view's devotion to the authority of Scripture. But this is not what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 13. He's referring to something else. Let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 9 says this. In uh, verse 8, he says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. First, we have to ask the question, what did Paul mean when he wrote, when completeness comes? What does completeness mean? This, this is tricky because the word means perfect. It means brought to its end. And we know that scripture is perfect that scripture has been brought to its end and cessationists believe this is referring to the bible in its final form but many others believe that it means that when christ returns and we along with the rest of creation are made perfect once again i believe this i believe that paul is referring to when christ returns when we are made perfect when he comes back when creation is restored 
and we are all made perfect once again. This is what Paul was referring to. And, and one of the reasons I believe that is there's a key word at the beginning of this verse. The Greek word for fails, when he says love never fails, it's the Greek word pipto. And it means to fall from a higher place to a lower place. It also means to lose authority or no longer have force. And so essentially Paul is saying that love never falls from its highest place of authority. It never goes to a lower place of authority. It never loses its force. It never loses its power. It's a term of ranking. And Paul is saying that nothing is more important than love because it will always remain throughout eternity. Think about the fact that the Bible says there will be a new age after this present one. That when, uh, that as we enter the new age and, and when, when Christ returns and we are standing face to face with God himself, we will have access to all knowledge and revelation because we will be literally immersed in the full presence of God. And when Christ returns and takes his children home, prophecy and tongues, they will be done away with. But what will remain, church? Love. Love will remain. Even in eternity. We take that with us. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is saying love is the most important thing. Because you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit are eventually going to go away. But love will always be there. And so do everything with the motivation of love. Speak to everyone with the motivation of love. Share your gifts with the motivation of love and service and humility empowered by the Spirit. Now, if you still hold to a cessationist view, the only thing left that I have to offer you is my personal experience and with the, with the gift of tongues and the experience of hundreds of thousands of other believers. Because the Spirit has given this gift to many people, and it's this undeniable experience. I don't believe that it's emotionalism. I don't believe that it is, it's hype or it's something that people were forced into. But I believe it is a genuine gift, a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit. And so assuming that you agree that tongues are for today, then let's move on to talk about the purpose and the proper use of the gift of tongues in both a public setting and a private setting. So for public use, uh, Paul gives a great, 1 Corinthians 14 is just great instruction for how to use this gift in public. He says this in verse 5. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Did you get that, church? That prophecy is better than tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. See, when Paul says, Paul says that when the church is together... It's better to prophesy unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. The purpose of this gift of tongues in a public setting is for the edification of the church. And when Paul refers to prophecy as the greater gift, he isn't saying that the one who prophesies has more value or is to be loved more than the one who speaks in tongues. Rather, Paul is saying that edifying the church is top priority. Edifying the church is top priority. So the gifts that edify the church are better for when the church is together. Paul is saying, if you are in here and you want to stand up and begin speaking in tongues, he says, that's great, but you're not edifying the church. You're, you're edifying yourself. Good for you. 
You're having a personal moment with God, but if nobody here is able to interpret what you're saying, then it's a selfish thing that you're doing. You're edifying. You can do that at home. Go home, close the door, and edify yourself. Have this moment with God. But when you are in a public setting, edifying the church together is top priority. It comes first. This is what Paul is saying. He goes on to give even more specific instructions regarding this gift. In verses 23 through 28, he says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, Will they not say, you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together Each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Edification of the church comes first. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Paul is concerned about the new believer who walks into the church. He, he doesn't want them to get freaked out. So he says, if there's no one present who has the gift of interpretation, then those with the gift must stay silent. And in other words, evangelism is more important than personal edification. We can edify our own spirits at other times. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13 says, that the gift is done with a motivation of love. That love and others have to be at the forefront of your mind when you're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Love, it's the motivation behind all gifts, including this one. But Paul also says that we aren't supposed to never use this gift when we come together. And that's oftentimes what we see in churches today is this is one of those bonkers gifts. Those those ones that kind of really freak people out. And so what the church tends to do is they avoid it all together and say, well... I don't want to dip my foot into there because I don't, I don't know about that one. But here's what Paul says in verse 39 through 40. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's even saying this to the church who is abusing this gift. Corinth, the church of Corinthians. He's saying don't forbid anybody from speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Isn't it nice to know that the the Spirit of God does things in an orderly way? That we serve a God of organization, a God of peace, a God of self-control, of discipline. It's it's comforting as a pastor to know that, that God's got my back in that area. Using this gift in a fitting and orderly way means having an interpretation. And so that leads me to this second gift that we're going to talk about. It's the interpretation of tongues. And the definition for this gift is reporting to the church the general meaning of something spoken in tongues. It's just, what did God say? What did God mean through that, through that speaking in tongues? And the, the gift of tongues and its interpretation is an incredible gift to the church. And when it's used properly... It is a miraculous gift by which we are joined together in a common spiritual language to serve God by loving others. 
That is how we are supposed to use the gift in the public setting, when we come together as a church. But there's, there's another level to this gift, church. And there's another advantage of this gift for you personally, and it's how this gift is supposed to be used in a private setting, when you are by yourself with God. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says this, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. What is the speaker doing to edify themselves if they do not understand what they are saying? How can you edify yourself if you don't know what you're saying? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 through 17, that when someone speaks in tongues, remember, they are either praising or praying. And I believe that there is a connection between this verse and what Paul tells us about one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. If you turn with me, to Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. This is what Paul describes the Holy Spirit doing in your life. It says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly mention speaking in tongues in this passage, but he does say that the Holy Spirit helps us to pray by interceding for us. And what are we doing when we're speaking in tongues? We're praying. When someone speaks in tongues, their spirit is praying alongside the Holy Spirit who knows what it is your spirit is communicating, and he intercedes on your behalf. I can tell you that when I've used this gift in prayer, my faith is strengthened. And the fallow ground in my heart begins to break up and become soft. It's truly a supernatural experience. I don't know if you've ever had this encounter before where you maybe, maybe, you, are, maybe you are experiencing so much grief, so much pain, or so much confusion. And, and you come to kneel and you're spending you know, your, your few minutes in the morning with God, but you begin to open your mouth and you just go... I don't even know where to start. Has anybody ever had that experience? You just go, I don't even know where to start. And you're just tired. Your mind is tired, and you just feel worn out. In those moments, I just begin speaking in tongues. I begin praying in my spiritual language, and as I do, I can feel the Spirit coming beside me, and He's partnering with me in the Spirit, interceding to the Father on my behalf, strengthening me and, and, and communicating on my behalf. It's this wonderful experience that happens, church. It's a gift that is made for you, that was given to you to help you, to edify you, to build you up. It builds your faith. The next question that I want to tackle is, can everyone speak in tongues? Can anyone speak in tongues? Well, Paul clearly says that not all people will receive the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and, and verses 30 through 31 says this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And even though Paul says that not everyone will receive this gift, he also expresses his desire for everyone to speak in tongues. He says, he says this, uh, uh, chapter 14 verse 5 i would like every one of you to speak in tongues and then he goes on to say but i would rather have you prophesy wayne grudem uh scholar theologian says this that even though paul says that not everybody will receive the gift of tongues 
Wayne, Wayne Grudem says this, that there is nothing in Scripture that says only a few will receive this gift. And since it is Paul, since, and since it is a gift Paul views as edifying and useful in prayer and worship on a personal level and not even just in church, he says, it would not be surprising if the Holy Spirit gave a very widespread distribution of this gift, and many Christians, in fact, received it. And this is what I've seen in my personal life, of, of course, in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches, that it's a very widespread gift, that the Holy Spirit has distributed this gift widely to people. Uh, many people have received it. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you say, well, I've prayed for the gift of tongues, Pastor, and I haven't received it. And maybe some of you also are saying, I've never even asked for the gift of tongues. Always thought it was a little weird. But if it's from the Lord, then I want it. I want to receive it. Well, here's three things I would want you to remember. If you're in this place and you, are, uh, and you would ask the Lord for this gift, here's three things I'd want you to remember. Number one, know that you are encouraged to ask for the gift. That the Bible actually encourages you to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and this one paul says i wish that all of you would speak in tongues that you are encouraged to ask for the gift in fact jesus tells a story he's of a father taking care of his son and he says if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your to your sons or to your kids how much more will my father pour out the spirit to those who ask and so you are encouraged to ask for the gift it is a good thing to ask for the gift. Here's the second thing that I'd want you to remember. Number two, God ultimately decides who has the gift. So there is nothing wrong with you or your faith if you do not receive it. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm sorry if you've been to a church and you've been prayed over and you didn't receive the gift and somebody told you, oh, you just don't have enough faith. Or you are just not praying right. Or you're just not bold enough. Those are not true and i'm sorry that that was your experience but the bible tells us that god decides which gifts are distributed to people and so we can ask for it but god might say no he might say no and there's nothing wrong with you or your faith if you do not receive it but here's the third thing i would want you to remember in order to receive this gift if you are desiring the gift in order to receive it you have to participate by opening your mouth and making utterances. Like I said before, it's a self-controlled speech. It's not ecstatic speech. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just jump on you and you start rattling off stuff. That's not how it works. But you actually make noise with your mouth. You begin speaking out. And the more that you do it, the more that, that the Spirit brings uh, pronouncement to your words. And don't worry about how you look or how you sound. Be humble and let your spirit give praises to God. Because that's the point of it. We pray and we praise God with the gift of tongues. It is a humbling experience. But it's a powerful experience. If you have not experienced partnering with the Holy Spirit in the gift of tongues, I'd encourage you to ask for it. And see if the Lord wants to pour it out on you. You don't know unless you ask for it. And if the answer is no, that's okay. That's okay. Here's how I want to end. I'm going to invite my wife up to come play piano. The gift of tongues has a reputation in many churches as being the least, the least of the gifts. 
But if this is the least of the gifts, then why, out of all the gifts, was the gift of tongues the initial manifestation of the Spirit in Acts 2? When the Spirit of God came upon the first church, He could have poured out any gift initially, and you could have seen the manifestation of any gift initially. But for some reason, people were filled with the gift of languages. And they began speaking in tongues. I already mentioned the power of language in words at the beginning of this message. But the book of James also contributes to this idea. In James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, he says this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. That is the power of your tongue when the Holy Spirit is not in control of it. The tongue is like a rudder. It determines the course of a ship. And when the Holy Spirit came on the first church, followers of Jesus gave the Holy Spirit their tongues. As if to say, you are in control, Spirit. You are going to, ter- you are going to determine from now on where this ship goes. Where this church goes, where this body goes, you are in control. And so when the Spirit of God took over their tongues and they, they gave they gave the Spirit their tongues, they were saying, you have control. You are leading us. When you surrender your tongue to the Holy Spirit, you surrender the rest of the ship and allow the Spirit to lead you. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit we're going to close I'm going to ask everybody to stand up and I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward I asked a few people to to come to the front if you're on the on the prayer team you can even make your way all the way to the sides that would be great thank you guys just come up here on the front Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dismiss everybody in a minute, so not everybody has to stick around for this. In fact, I would prefer not everybody to stick around. But if you desire the gift of tongues, then we want to provide an opportunity for you to ask for it and to see if God would like to give it to you. Remember those three things. You're encouraged to ask for it. There's nothing wrong with you or your faith if you do not receive it, but you have to participate. You have to open your mouth. You have to make utterances and be led by the Spirit as you do this. And so I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to dismiss everybody to go ahead and head to the cafe or or head to the lobby. But if you want to stick around and receive prayer, each of these people up here have been given the gift of tongues, and they would love to lay hands on you and pray with you to see if the Lord would like to pour this out on you. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are, uh, you are orderly, that you are conscious 
of the people who are skeptical, that walked in, who are just curious about, about the Bible, curious about the gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that you are compassionate towards them. And Father, I pray for the people who are here, who have been following you and say, I would love for my spirit to be able to partner with the Holy Spirit in that way and pray in such a way where the Holy Spirit is interceding with me. The Holy Spirit already intercedes with you, but when you lift up, when you open up your mouth and speak in tongues, you're praying alongside the Holy Spirit. And if you are in this room and you desire that and you've never been given that gift, but you'd like to ask, or maybe you'd like to ask again, that's okay. I'd invite you to come forward in just a moment. But Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in power, that people would receive their new languages today. I I fully expect, I believe that a few of you here are going to receive a new language. We're going to see it today. But if you would be bold enough and humble enough to come forward when we're done, please do that. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.